Um, this week's Parashat Yitro, it's very easy to identify what the central story in Yitro is, and it's Matan Torah. Of course, there's a lot to talk about Yitro himself and Yitro's advice and the relationship between Moshe and his sons and Yitro and Moshe and his, and his uh, wife. Um, that's all an interesting piece. The event of Matan Torah and the content of Aserta Dibrot is fascinating. We spent a lot of time on that. But I want to actually look at um, what I, I believe is also a critical piece in that story, which is the buildup. As a matter of fact, when we read the Torah and Shavuot, the universal minhag is to read from Bachodesh Hashlishi and includes all of the uh, all the prefacing and all of the preparatory moves made towards Matan Torah. And there is a theme that appears several times uh, in that story that I want to explore here. And it, I believe it's a theme that that um, that appears and that makes its way through many stories in Tanakh. And I think we can find a common thread in that. I want to start, oddly enough, with an Agadah. Uh, instead of starting with Psukim, and it's an Agadah that shows up near the beginning of that long series of Agadot about Matan Torah, which is on Daf Pechet, Pechet, uh, in Shabbat, where we get a lot of our very well-known Agadot, Kafalim um, Harkagigit, etc. And it starts as follows. So there was some Galilean who came to Bavel, and he gave the following drasha in the presence of Rav Chista. So that puts us in the middle, towards the end of the third century in Surah. Brich Rachmana, blessed is God, the Yahav, Urian Tlitoi, a threefold light, Laam Tlitoi, to a threefold nation, Al Yedei through the agency of a third, Biyom Tlitoi, on the third day, Biyarchat Tlitoi, in the third month. Now, this drasha has been raked over and plowed through numerous times over the centuries. Try to discover whether there's something special about the number three. Is he just tying together different components of Matan Torah? Let's clarify what the words mean. Uriantli Torah, a threefold Torah, meaning Torah Nevim Tuvim, is the way we generally understand it. Laantli Torah, a threefold nation, idea is Kohanim Levim Yisraelim. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is the third in his family. I'm going to skip the only time in a second because you can see from the highlight that that's the focus and from the title, that's the focus of the Shi'ur. And Biyachatli Toy in the third month. Now, these thirds are not of a kind. Some of them are thirds in the sense of uh, ordinal counting, like the third month, is that the first month, second month, third month. Sometimes these thirds are not so much an ordinal piece, but the fact that it is, there are three parts to it. Like the Torah has three parts, and the nation has three parts, and uh, and of course, being the thirdborn is somewhat more like Yarchet Litoy, but it's also different, right? Because you're an individual person as opposed to the sequence of months. Yom Litoy and Yarchet Litoy would seem to be the same. They're both about dates, and the third day and the third month. Now, what does the third day mean? That's what I'm going to get to. Uh, parenthetically, this Agadah is so well known; it even came up in something that we did four weeks ago. Uh, for three weeks ago, when we talked in Parshat Vayirai, and I spoke about the census, that odd genealogy that appears at the beginning of Vayirai, 
I had on the on the source sheet the comment of the Kliakar, uh, who said that that Hakadosh Baruch is trying to demonstrate that he's looking for threes. So therefore, he starts with Ruvain, who has four sons, and then he gets to Shimon, who has five sons. That's no good. Gets to Levi. Oh, three sons. There we go. And so that that even this Agadah seems to animate some of the Parshanut, albeit not Pshat Parshanut, um, even on that piece there. What is Yom Tlitoi? So in order, instead of uh, discussing it, let's look at it in the text. Now, the beginning of this chapter, well-known, the whole chapter is well-known, is that Moshe, they arrive at Sinai. It's the third month. We don't know what day it is, although Chazal say, when Bayom Azeh means Rosh Chodesh, they arrive in the third month. And by the way, we get we have given no dates whatsoever for the rest of the narrative of Matan Torah. All we know is they arrive in the third month. We know nothing else. Everything else is based on traditions, based on Midrashim. Um, and Hashem summons Moshe to the top of the mountain and says to him, um, go to B'nai Yisrael and ask them if they want the Brit. And if you do accept the Brit, then you will be Mamlachet Kohanim Magoy Kadosh. And Moshe comes down. And Moshe then asks the people, do you want to enter the Brit? And they say, we want to enter the Brit. And, Hashem, and Moshe tells Hashem they want to enter the Brit. Moshe is the classic middleman on this. And here we go. And this pasuk, which parenthetically the Gemara says, is as you see, pasuk tet is in the Babylonian tradition one pasuk. In the Eretz Yisrael tradition, it was read as three pasukim. You have a whole other aliyah make out of this pasuk. Uh, this pasuk says speaks volumes to the event of Matan Torah, as you'll see. Hashem says to Moshe. I am going to come to you in the thickness of a cloud so that the people will hear when I speak to you. Now, until now, what's happened? Hashem has spoken to Moshe, and evidently people were not aware of it. Moshe went to the top of the mountain, Hashem spoke to him, and Moshe came down and said, this is what Hashem said. There's going to happen, there's going to operate in a new system, which is, I'm going to appear to you in the thickness of a cloud, and the people will hear me talking to you. Which will then establish your credibility forever as really being the Eved Hashem and the, and the Navi Hashem. So now Moshe comes and tells, the, uh, and tells the people's words to Hashem, which is they want to enter the Brit. Of course, this is a little bit backwards, but that's, that's um, the, the order that we're given is that Hashem tells Moshe, I'm going to appear to you in this cloud, etc. And Moshe then tells the Hashem, that the people have agreed to enter the breach. So now the next step. Now, by the way, just because we're not, not going to get to it, just to comment on, on Pasuk Tet, what that means is that at some particular point, there's going to be a cloud covering the mountain. Moshe is going to be in the cloud. Hashem is going to speak to Moshe, and the people will hear something. We don't know what they're going to hear. Are they going to hear the words? Are they going to hear some sort of in scrambled sound? Are they going to just hear a lot of sound? But they'll know that Moshe was in the cloud and Hashem was speaking to him. And then either Moshe is going to come out and they will have all heard the words, Anochi Hashem or they will have heard sound and Moshe will then have to tell them, this is what Hashem said. One way or the other, it establishes Moshe's bona fides. Okay. Now, So go to the people and sanctify them. Unclear yet what that means. Today, and we're in the middle of the day, Umachar and tomorrow. Let them wash their clothes. 
which we understand halacha could mean tahara. Let them be ready for the third day. So I'm going to make this up and say that Moshe went up to the mountain on a Monday. Hashem says to him, on Monday, sanctify them today and tomorrow, Monday and Tuesday, and be ready for Wednesday. Wednesday is Yom HaShlishi. Why? Because on that third day, which we're going to right now call Wednesday, just arguendo, Hashem is going to come down in front of everybody on R.C. night. So what's very clear from this pasuk is Hashem is giving Moshe directive to have the people prepare for this amazing theophany, this public appearance of God and manifestation of God in front of them. Uh, and the way to do that is to become sanctified. It involves some sort of tahara, go to the mikvah, sanctify your clothes. There's going to be more to it in a minute. And they should prepare themselves for that third day. Because on that third day, Hashem is going to come down. Now, when Moshe reports this to the people, watch what he says. Be prepared for three days. Which means, have no contact with your wife. Which means, avoiding sexual contact. For those three days. Now, that's how he, how he tells them to prepare. What happens on that third day? Now notice, Moshe said three days. But three days isn't really three days. It's not 72 hours. Because on the third day already, in the morning, which means really a day and a half, less than two days after he said this. And that's, by the way, part of the whole sugya in Shabbat, which emanates from the Mishnah in there, about how many onot, they separated for, and the dean of Poletta Sheikh Mazzaro, which is what drives this whole discussion, is how many days there actually were of separation. But I'm looking more from the literary perspective than the halachic perspective in this year. So early in the morning of the third day, and now we have the sounds, the, the, the lightning, the cloud on the mountain, a very loud sound of a shofar is being heard. They all start shaking. So the Moshe now leads the people towards God, meaning towards the mountain. They camp, they stand at attention at the foot of the mountain. And this is the famous drasha, under the mountain. The whole mountain is smoking. Because God came down in fire. And the smoke came up like the smoke from a furnace. Beforehand, the people were shaking. Now the mountain shaking. It's a good week, I suppose, to speak about the mountain shaking. And the sound of the shofar is getting stronger and stronger. Which is very unclear what that means. Does it mean Moshe? says the words, and then God repeats those words, God speaking, and Moshe's repeating the words, is there is there of an equal sonic decibel level? And now God's presence comes down to the mountain. And Hashem summons Moshe to the top of the mountain. Okay, so stop at this point, I'll ask you. what If you were to describe the mountain how would you describe it? You see the mountain, what do you see? 
well, you see a mountain, you see a lot, you see millions of people at the bottom of the mountain. Yeah, but you're one of the people looking at the mountain. What do you see? You, you see a mountain that disappears into a cloud at a certain point. Okay, so cloud and what else? Cloud is one thing prominent in this story, and there's another thing. You see fire. That's the two things. There are nat there are climactic and natural, supernatural, but natural manifestations, thunder and lightning, et cetera. And there's the shofar. But when you look at it, what you see is cloud and fire. Those are the two things that are repeated throughout this description. Okay. And and smoke. What? Well, smoke and is smoke. The fire. Correct. Okay. But it's the fire coming down on the mountain, so the smoke is rising. Right? So that's what you see. Now, you, you are, and remember, I've always noted, whenever you're studying narrative, you have to put yourself in the narrative. So be a member of B'nai Yisrael. And assume for a moment, and I think it's a fairly safe assumption, that you have at least a rough, if not detailed, uh, knowledge of the history of the family and of the big moments of the family. You might not know exactly where Avimelech was when he took Sarah into his house, but you know the big moments. The big moments of the of your your ancestor and your the other guy's ancestor all standing around grandfather Yaakov's bed and giving a bracha. Uh, the memory of taking Yaakov to be buried in Hebron. Uh, big moments are very likely in your head. Bripen Abatarim is almost assuredly something you're aware of. You're standing at the foot of a mountain and you see a cloud on the mountain. You see fire on the mountain. What event in your tribal, national, ethnic history has to come into mind as something like either we're reliving something or that event foreshadowed this? What must you be thinking about? Stum. What? Stum and Amora. Uh, interesting, except that that's destructive. Here we don't see any destruction, right? What event? Think about this. A mountain with a fire on top. So I'm going to help you out. What is perhaps the most momentous <clears throat> single instant in Sefer Breshit is the moment of the Akedah. And the Akedah reverberates throughout not only Tanakh, but Jewish history in all sorts of ways, many of them subtle and many of them quite explicit. Think about this. You're looking up at a mountain and there is fire on top of the mountain. Let's take a look here. We're going to go to the Akedah. Avram gets up early in the morning, right after getting the command. He saddles the donkey. He takes two of his lads. He himself chops the wood for the korban. He gets up and he goes to the place. Him, the three boys, Yitzchak and the two other boys, the donkey, etc. What happens on the third day of their journey? Avram looks up and he sees the place. Now remember, what did God say? Offer him up, or however you understand, on one of the mountains that I'll show you. And here Avram looks up and he sees the place. How does he see the place? 
Some say God that God says this is the place. Midrash, fantastic Midrash, makes the following statement. Source three, source five, sorry. What did Avram see? He saw a cloud tied up hanging over the mountain. He said, oh, that must be the place. Where's the Midrash getting this from? How does the Midrash have a cloud on top of Har Moriah? But I believe that the Midrash is in, internally making that connection between Ma'amad Har Sinai and the Akedah, and not chiefly because of the fire element, but because of something else. And after all, Har Sinai is the Anan. That's the first thing you guys said, the cloud covering the mountain. And so if Har Moriah is either the first in a pattern of which Har Sinai is the big manifestation, or is foreshadowing Mamad Harsinai, then that means that the cloud that's described in Harsinai must also be found in Har Moriah. But where'd they get that from? So I'd like to revisit this at the end, because if you take a look at it, you will find that throughout Tanakh, the motif of three days or a third day is prominent and is frequent. And I've selected a few of them, which I think speak more to our issue, because some of them really are not that vital. Uh, the third day of the Brit Milah, when Shimon and Levi attacked the people of Shechem, may not be vital for our point. It's very vital for the people of Shechem. Uh, but take a look here, for instance. Um, when um, Yosef is in prison, and the butler and the baker share, the, share their dreams with him, Yosef's response is that the three vines represent three days, and the three baskets represent three days. Three days from now, your fate will be decided. Now, on a shot level, it's very easy to understand why. Yosef had uh, the, uh, the schedule of Pharaoh's celebrations and knew that three days from now is going to be Pharaoh's Yom Huledet, whether it means birthday or coronation anniversary, whatever it means. And on that day, Pharaoh decides the fate of all of the royal prisoners. So you either are saved or you're killed. All right, so it's very easy. So it's, and you have to kind of wonder, why did they get this dream then? Why don't they get this dream a week earlier or the day before? There seems to be something about three days of anticipation, three days of preparation that is a theme. Let's see it a little bit more openly manifested when the brothers we're moving ahead in the Yosef story Yosef is viceroy of Egypt Yosef is and Yosef is playing possum with his brothers and, and he accuses his brothers of being spies etc what does he tell them first he says I'm going to hold you all hostage and one of you go back and bring your younger brother Notice what he does. He puts them into prison, all of them into prison, for three days. And of course, their expectation is he's going to pull one of us out to go back and bring Binyamin back. That's what they were told. Which, by the way, means is not He puts them into prison for three days, but he tells them on the third day as he frees them, and then he takes Shimon and he sends the rest of them back. Which means, does not mean three full days, it means for a three-day period, which means today and tomorrow, and on the third day, it'll be decided. 
they don't necessarily know it's going to be three days, but that's how long it is. And on the third day, there is some sort of resolution, at least a temporary one, right? We move ahead to the very famous um, issue, which we've dealt with in the past, which many Israel say to Paro, we want to go out for three days to the desert to worship Hashem, that whole issue, whether it's honest, whether it's not honest. But right after Yom Suf, again, we get the same motif. B'nai Israel, after this great success and, and this great rejoicing, go three days in the desert, no water, and then they immediately start complaining. And there's something there also. When Yehoshua, moving ahead, when Yehoshua, we have only a couple more examples, then I'm going to bring it all together. When Yehoshua gets his first charge from Hashem, we find out that he gets that charge on the 7th of Nisan. How do we know that? We have very few dates of events in Tanakh. One of the first events that's dated in Tanakh is the crossing of the Ardain on the 10th of Nisan. And three days before that, Yehoshua says, sends the, the officers through the camp, and he says, get everybody ready. In three days, you're going to cross. Which means there's today, there's tomorrow, and the next day we're going to cross. And that's exactly what happens there. In the case of Chizkiyahu, Chizkiyahu was sick. He thinks he's going to die. And Hashem tells Yeshayahu to come back to Chizkiyahu. I've heard your prayer, I see your cures. I'm going to heal you on the third day you can go back to the Beit HaMikdash. Why? Why not just heal him and say, okay, go to the Beit HaMikdash. I said, I'm going to heal you and on the third day you go back to the Beit HaMikdash. All of these consistently have this three-day motif. And of course, a very famous one is Yonah ends up getting swallowed up, and only on the third day or after three days does he start praying to Hashem. And what is maybe the most famous one, and it's seasonal, is Esther. What does Esther command Mordechai to do? Tell everybody to fast for three days. Again, it's not three full days, as you'll see. It's day and night, but it's not 72 hours. Because in Pasuk he by Yom Hashlishi, on the third day, she comes in to see the king. Again, three days, but not really three days, but the third day. Well, what is this all about? And we go to a pasuk in Hosea, which has nothing to do with human events, has nothing to do with individuals on a, on a journey, has to do with something, in a sense, much larger, much more meta than that. Hosea talks of, uh, in, in Hosea's Nevoah, Hashem talks about returning the people. And they say, Hashem will revive us after two days. On the third day, he will raise us up and we'll live before him. Of course, the Christians love this pasuk. You can understand why. But notice that there's this whole motif that shows up throughout Tanakh, from early history in Tanakh to to prophetic eschatological visions of a three-day period. What's that about? So I want you to think about it just in pure human terms. I tell you something amazing is going to happen. Something terrifying is going to happen. Something momentous is going to happen. And I tell that to you today. Today is Wednesday. I tell you right now on Wednesday, it's going to happen. Now, if I tell you it's going to happen in a month, what, what happens to you? You have lots of time 
to take care of other things. Say, okay, next week I'll take care of it. Or you're going to spend the whole month in such anxiety, you'll probably die of a heart attack in the meantime, depending on what it is. If I tell you, on the other hand, there's an amazing thing happening in four hours, then your adrenaline drives you, and there is no room for the other side of the feeling. What happens, and we'll start with Avraham, what happens when Hashem says to Avraham, go take your son? How does Avraham feel when he gets up in the morning? He's clearly energized. He's energized. He gets up early. He chops the wood. He starts going moving. He starts moving out. God's command. And I'm going to ask you, what must we imagine happens the next day? You can be driven for an entire day. Avram and his people camp out somewhere in the middle of nowhere and get up the next day. We're not home, and yet we're not there yet. So what, what, what must be going through his head? Suddenly, all of the questions, all of the hesitations, all of the concerns, there's room for them and room for him to deal with that. And what might happen on the third day? Or before the third day, he may turn around. He may stop the mission. What happens? The third day is the day when he has made the decision. The third day is the day when he's wrestled with himself for an entire day and finally gone to sleep at night saying, I'm doing it. And that's when he can see it. What happens when Moshe comes to B'nai Israel and says, fine, you want to breathe? Guess what? You thought a Brit man, Hashem's going to send me with a message and we'll sign a Brit, and that's it. It's not. It's momentous. It's huge. It's scary. It's trembling. You're going to encounter God directly. I'm giving you three days to prepare. In order to prepare, you have to separate yourself from your sexual life, from your family life. Today, all of tomorrow, and then on the third day, it'll happen. So right now, I'm really excited. We're going to see God. That's amazing. What do you think happens the next day? All the trepidation, all the concern, all the questions. Am I ready for this? What's it going to be like? It's scary. And finally, when I go to sleep after that second night, I go to sleep with a resolve. And that's why I'm able to get up the next morning and the cloud covers the mountain and the sound comes down. That's the significance of Yom HaShlishi throughout Tanakh. Yonah has to be in there for three days until he can finally pray. Esther needs that amount of time before because you can have the resolve to actually come forward and address the king. That's the magic, the special nature of Bayom HaShlishi. We take a look at it in our text, and we see this drasha that this Galilean shared, which is, Why does it make a big deal of being on the third day? So it could be that it just fits the drasha nicely because of all the threes. And it could be that he's saying that's part of the power of this people. That they're able to wrestle with all the doubts and all the questions and all the concerns and all the trepidations. And at the end of the second day, at the end of the full 24-hour day of wrestling, they're able to come with a commitment, we're going to go further. Just like Avraham did on that third day, and just like we were able to on the third day, and we come to meet God at Har Sinai 
to accept the Torah and to ultimately say, Na'asev and Ishma. 